You're listening to This Naked Mind with Annie Gris. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to This Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Amy. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Annie? I'm good. So good to see you. I am so excited about today. And I just wanted to thank you so much for the last three years. Oh, that's so So, special. Yeah, it's been great. It really has. And um, I just, uh, I didn't think I'd get emotional already. Your, Your book meant a lot to me and it has changed my life and it's changed my husband's life and my kids and I'm sure future generations. So thank you. Oh, that's so amazing. All right. Well, let's, let's take it all the way back to the backstory to that. So um, <sighs> let's go back to, to the beginning. Where did, where did this, where did your journey start? <sighs> well, my story, I want to say is a story about anxiety fear, and I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up, my life is pretty typical. I grew up in the cornfields of central Illinois. I grew up in a very loving Christian home. Um, both my parents are still married to this day. I'm the oldest of four. And there's about a five-year age difference between me and my next sibling. And so that put me in that position of being the oldest being the the big sister, I held a lot of responsibility. You know, let's make sure that everything that you do, that you don't get in trouble, that you just, you know, you're expected to be this good, obedient child. And being that firstborn, I took this very seriously. I I did. I want to say that the anxiety started somewhere in probably, I mean, really started when I was probably in about fourth or fifth grade. And I think the reason I had so much anxiety and fear is because my, my dad worked for the airlines industry. I grew up in central Illinois and that's the head, uh, the headquarters of Caterpillar. And there was always strikes or fear of strikes. You know, my dad worked for a union, was a uh, union uh, person. And so I always had this fear that what if something happened to my dad's job? My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She had she babysat. But again, there was always that fear of, oh my gosh, the something could happen. What am I going to do? And I can remember from a very young age, I on my own went to school and volunteered to be work in the cafeteria so that I could make sure that I had a free meal so that my younger siblings would, would have food. I mean, this is the, and and my parents didn't ask me to do that, but I just had this expectation of myself that I had to, to help out. And I also, around that same time, I started, and I didn't realize this until I was an adult, but this was a real problem. I started pulling my hair out. Hmm. And so I had to wear a bandana to school. So, okay, add that in to kids are mean. And I'm, I've got this clearly have this, this issue, an OCD issue and that it just kind of build it, it built over time. So fast forward to high school. I, read, I actually have a question on, sorry yeah. to, to interrupt, but I'm curious, like internalizing that about your parents' job, did that come from conversations you can remember or I think 
I think it was conversations because I was the oldest. I also think it was from the news. I mean, when we would turn on the news and this is in the seventies. So, you know, you had gas lines and you had, um, I remember being in line in our vehicle, hoping we would get through the gas line to get gasoline and just other things that happened also. Like I do remember one time when my dad was um, on strike and I can remember powdered milk mm -hmm. and you know, those types of things. And we didn't go without, and I mean, we never, you know, I don't remember ever, you know, being hungry or anything like that. And my parents were amazing. I mean, one Christmas, there were just presents for us kids. And I remember just being like, oh, wow. You know, like a feeling bad that my parents didn't have a present and making, taking my siblings and going, let's go make mom and dad these presents. And we like made them just little, um, it was like cardboard, you know, little cards or something like that. And so I think it was maybe a combination of that. So, yeah. So I think, I think it was probably a combination of all those things. So, so fast forward, I'm a 15 year old, I'm now in high school and I'm, I, I'm in love. I'm obsessed with this boy and that I have my first drink in, in his vehicle in the middle of a cornfield somewhere. He was this very popular guy. And I remember having that drink and I didn't have that drink feeling like I've heard others describe, like it was just this, Oh, I felt great and everything for me. It just made me feel comfortable. Mm. It just was like, Oh, I can, I, now I can talk with him. And I always had this, again, this feeling of not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. And here I am in this car with this most popular guy who ended up being a long-term boyfriend, amazing guy, amazing family. But I still, in the back of my mind, never felt like I was good enough. Um, that relationship ended. He um, ended off going off to college. And back then we didn't have, you know, telephones and social media where we could stay connected. And I felt alone and started dating um, my first husband, who, when I started dating him was, I thought was a lot of fun and everything. And, and the high school experience was drinking, but then in college, it really turned into binge drinking, but I still did okay in school. I graduated. I put myself through college. I worked um, a couple of jobs, um, but drinking when you, when you went out and drank, it was to get drunk. I mean, that was what you did when you would go out and this boyfriend and I, we drank a lot. We work hard. We play hard. Um, we ended up getting married and I really should have known that this was not going to end well. I remember he already had a drinking problem when we got married. And at that time, you know, my drinking was just for partying. And so I got a job. I started working. I got another job. I just was very I was like, okay, I'll work during the day. I have nothing to do. I've graduated from, from college. I'll work in the evening. So I was working all the time and our relationship just kind of fell apart. Um, I wanted to get into counseling. He wouldn't go and he would not do that. 
And his family was very different from mine. His family was very much the drinking culture. His um, his dad would have been deemed like, I mean, he was a self-professed alcoholic, but he would fall off the wagon. He would, you know, we it was just accepted. I could go there. Even when I was under 21, I could, I could drink. Um, so it was doomed. Um, we ended up, he, infidelity happened. I remember one morning I, I was trying to lose weight and be healthy. And I got up 5 a.m. in the morning and went to get in his vehicle to go to the gym. And I went to move the seat up and I could hear the beer cans crushing underneath the seat. And I pulled out, I, I was so upset and I pulled out all this beer because at that time, again, I only drank for fun and recreation. And I knew that he was in trouble and we ended up getting divorced and I met Matt, my husband now, and it was amazing. But again, I still had that. I'm not good enough in my head. I'm not good enough. And I was introduced to drinking like real adults in my mind. This is how we, this is how we, we, we behave. Matt, when we started dating, it was like, he just would have a drink or two every night. We would go out again. I only really drank on the weekends or I worked for a radio station at the time. So we would have events um, that we would go to remotes and things like that at bars. And so you drink then, but it, it still was not it wasn't like an everyday thing. And there were times where, yeah, we were going to go out and we were going to party and we were going to have a good time. But again, it was not something that I was abusing, I think, in my own mind, even though when I did go out and binge drink, that was abusing it. And so Matt and I dated, um, we ended up getting married. And one of the things I connect with uh, with you, Annie, is how you said in your book, how you and your husband were like, we are not, we want to remember this day. And I can remember Matt and I, we were talking and we're like, you know what, we want to remember this day. And so we made a, we really told each other, let's, okay, we're not going to get drunk. We, yeah, we can, we'll, we'll have a drink. We'll, we'll sip. And I remember we would take a sip, put the drink down. And we had friends who were literally following us around finishing our drinks for us. And so we had a wonderful, um, we got married. We, I'm five years older than Matt. And so I wanted to start a family and he was like, okay. So we end up within probably uh, three or probably about three or four months um, ended up getting pregnant with our first son. So again, I'm not drinking, uh, you know, to excess. I'm not drinking really when I'm pregnant, except my doctor did tell me I could have a glass of wine every week and it wouldn't be a problem. I didn't do that, but I did reward myself with a glass of wine every month, which I look back and I'm like, you know, it's neither here nor there. And as we progressed and I had my son and I, I changed jobs somewhere, you know, right after we were married and we bought a home and everything, you know, again, it was like, I, I would have a drink 
or two on like Friday night. And I, I had rules too. I was very much a controller already. If I drank on Friday night, I would not drink on Saturday. That was just the way I was already. So if we had something on Saturday night, I would be like, oh, well, not on Friday night. And I also was very cognizant of the fact that I am a mom and I am in charge of this child and I am I have to stay in control. So as we would fast forward through life, if we would go out, like we would have times where we would go out and take the kids to grandma and grandpa's for the weekend, that's when mom would let her hair down and have a great time. And, you know, the last time that I binge drank, um, I shouldn't say the last time, but one of the last times was when Luke was about two or three years old and I drank so much that I got so sick that Matt had to call somebody to help him. And I look back on it. And again, I refer to your book and I'm like, thank heavens that I could throw up because I would have died. And I knew that weekend because it was a two day hangover and I can remember going, you have this little boy who keeps coming up and going, mommy, what's wrong? Why are you sick? And I'm thinking, why are you doing this? You're wasting this time. So I did, I vowed I was not going to be like that anymore. And I really held true to that for years. And then we adopted our daughter. And again, things were pretty normal, except by this point, I'll go back just a little bit. I ended up, what was having some difficulties again, still with anxiety, and I ended up getting on and um, I was depressed. I because of all these changes that had happened. So I went ahead and they put me on an, a depressant and I antidepressant when Luke was probably probably around two, and so I stayed on that. I had my meds adjusted throughout life, but we adopted our daughter. And there was a point where I, again, I wanted so badly to be at home with my daughter. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And we were able to, to figure that out. So I stayed at home, but now I'm at home and now I'm feeling just as lost as I was when I was working. I wanted to be at home with her when I was working. And then I wanted to be the opposite, just this complete comparison game happening. And again, that anxiety and the fear and that I'm, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough when I'm working and being a mom, you know, working outside of the home. And I'm now I'm at home inside the home and I'm not good enough. I'm not doing a good enough job here. And so there was this constant story that I was telling myself all the time. And it just over time, it just built and built and the kids are getting older. And I finally, um, I, I, there was just a point where it was time where I guess I was going to go back to work. Maggie was um, going into preschool. And so Matt said, you know what, you need to get back out in the workforce. And I'm like, okay, what kind of job am I going to get? Because he travels all the time. So I have to have a very flexible job. And he's like, you can go work for my parents. Be great. You can go do marketing. You can take care of the kids. You'll just go to work when the kids are at school. So that's what I did. That was really hard to go and work for my in-laws. And I love my in-laws. My in-laws are absolutely the most amazing people. 
in the world. They're very generous. But again, I'm telling myself this story in my head. And at this time, the anxiety is I still have it. And but my drinking starting to increase. So instead of it just being the Friday nights, it was turning into Friday and Saturdays. You have a disagreement, like going, I remember a distinct of distinctly going to my parents. And I don't even remember what happened, but I just remember being in the car thinking, and this is in my mid forties, thinking to myself, I get home, I get to have a glass of wine or two. It'll take this away. I know it will. And that opened it up. That opened it up. It opened it up to the, I can, I'm just going to have a drink when I'm not feeling the way I should feel. And I didn't realize this, but this is happening and I'm drinking and then the anxiety is getting more and more and I'm trying to hold everything together and I'm trying to control things and I'm trying to make my house look perfect and I'm trying to put on this perfect facade and I just can't do it anymore. And I, somewhere around, I think my son was in junior high or going into high school. And I remember trying to go into work and, and I couldn't, I could not go into work. And I just was just crying. And I'm, I was really hysterical actually. And I called my husband, I go, I can't go to work. I don't know what to do. And so he was like, don't go to work today. We'll get you into, we're going to get you a counselor or therapy. And so I went into that. I went to a therapist and that helped a lot. But the one thing the therapist never asked me was about my drinking. I and and I've I've talked to her about it since then. And she's like, You I didn't fit the bill. I didn't fit it. And I even told her, I go, it's not your fault. And I go, I probably am pretty sure I would have lied. So, you know, I just, you know, it, it brought an awareness to her that she even said, I've got to. I've got to change how I approach this. So anyways, still trying to keep the perfect life. You know, we're, we're, we're active in our church. We're, we're, you know, I'm trying to have this active prayer life. I've got my kids in the activities. I'm singing in the choir. However, it's really hard to sing in the choir when you're hungover, but I learned how to do it. But it, I just remember feeling completely out of alignment in my life. And it get worse. It just kept getting worse. The longer I was in this and trying to control everything, and then the more I wanted to drink. And so finally, um, I can't believe it took this long because I think I was stuck for really about seven years. Cognitive dissonance was so bad. It just was so bad. It was like on Friday and Saturday nights, we were living this um, five o'clock somewhere lifestyle. And then on Sunday morning, I was trying to get myself into this. Okay, now, now here we are in this compartment of our life. Here we are, the churchgoers. And um, Matt and I also were, you know, we were involved in small group, but small group, our small group had to be the small group that drank. So everything just, it didn't make sense for so long. And so um, I remember being in, we went into a group setting where we, it, the program at our church was called Rooted and it was a 12 week program. And we're supposed to be developing, you know, these different rhythms of life. And it was great. It was absolutely wonderful, but there was a section on strongholds. 
And I can remember being in with this group of women because they divided us up for that, for that practice. And we were getting closer to my turn and I was going to tell them about my drinking and it got to me and I'm like, I don't even remember what I said, but I didn't talk about alcohol because the shame, I had so much shame around it and I just couldn't do it. And that was probably in 2018 or so, 2019, and still wasn't ready to give it up. Didn't know how. And I want to say, Annie, one of the things that I want people to know is that I don't consider drinking a sin by any means. But what I had done is I had elevated drinking to this point of being an idol in my life. It was what I thought about all the time. It was this, this obsession it had become in my life. And I didn't, by the out, by any standards, I did not drink like what society tells us is an alcoholic. Um, in my mind, I just was like a couple drinks here. And then it became to pretty much about five, a good five days to six days a week. Cause I was like, I never let go of one day. I just had to keep that control. But there were days where, you know, it happened weeks where I drank every night. And I finally decided in 2020, January of 2020, that I had to get, I had to turn things around. And I decided that I wanted to get more connected with my faith. So I decided to start reading the Bible. I was going to read the Bible in a year. And I started this. Now I'm still drinking. This has not changed anything. I had a night, there was a night, our son was about ready to go back to college and we decided to watch a movie with him and I'm all excited. So I go and I get my wine and we're drinking and everything. And I started to, I didn't black out, but I, I call it a, I called it a brownout because I was coming and going in and out of it. And I can just remember there were parts of it where I was crying and I remember waking up in the middle of the night and going, I don't want to be this mom. I don't want to drink with my kids. And my son wasn't drinking with us, but I just see that that was where we were headed. And I'm like, I don't want to be that person. I, I kept having these visions back to my first husband's family where all we did was sit around and drink. And I'm like, I don't want that. I want, I want a real relationship with my kids. That that was uh, that was a point where it was like okay things have got to change and it didn't change yet but then we come to the pandemic and our son is, son is back home for an extended period because they extended out their spring break and we get the call saying you got to come and get all you got to come back up to the school get all of his stuff we're closing the university the state's going into lockdown the country's going into lockdown and we get his stuff. We're coming home. They make the official. Uh, the governor says we're closing the state. So we go to the grocery store and we go to the liquor store and we buy enough alcohol for six weeks because we need to have alcohol to survive the pandemic because we're we were told you needed to go to the liquor store. We didn't go on our spring break trip that we had planned. And um, for some reason in there, I decided that first weekend going into the pandemic, I think I might've had one glass of wine, but I didn't even really drink that weekend. But on that Tuesday night in spring break on March 24th, we decided to have a social distance party with our neighbors. 
out on the patio or on the, the driveway. I'm drinking no more than I normally did, but I have my tumbler. My kids come out about, I don't know, seven o'clock and ask, are we going to do anything for dinner? And Matt and I are like, oh, just go make a pizza. And I remember having almost like this out of body experience going, we're going into the pandemic. Our kids are probably scared. And you just sat there and told them to make a pizza so you can sit here and drink this wine. And I just was like, are you kidding me? And so I ended up um, finishing that drink. I woke up in the middle of the night like I had so many nights before. Um, and uh, let me also say that I wasn't really sleeping anymore at this time, at this point of my drinking. It was more like naps. And I woke up at 3 a.m. and I was like, this is insane. And I was just, I had a, I think a real God moment where I was like, help me. And I had done this before, but I picked up my phone in the middle of the night and I'm scrolling and I found a 21 day reset. And I said, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, I signed up and I'm going to fix my drinking. I'm going to be able to go back to moderation. And I signed up for this group and I really feel like it was a God moment. Um, the gal who led the group ended up, um, introducing me to your book. I remember I actually have pictures of me, um, pictures of your books in my car. I'm like, okay, we're going to read this book. But there was something in me at that point that finally said, okay, God, if you're going to help me get to this point, I'm going to do, I'm going to do whatever I'm led to do, you know, and, 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 she told me to get this book and read this book. So I'm getting this book and I'm reading your book and I would read your book every night. And I think in the beginning you say, read your, don't try to read this book all in one sitting. And I, I did, I just sat there and was like, okay, we're going to read it. And I remember all the emotions and I remember sitting there and I'm not drinking and I'm making, I'm making mocktails every single night and I'm listening to Quitlet and I've found your um, podcast and I'm, I'm doing all the things and I, I'm, you know, on social media and your team was doing lives and I would tune into these lives and I can just remember going, wow, I want to do that. I want to help people. And I just, there's just this moment where I was like, I started to feel better. And I think, you know, you're reading through the book and there was a point where I was driving and it must've been around, it was around day 14. And I can remember being in my vehicle and it was a beautiful spring day. And I could feel, I, the sun roof was open and I'm feeling the warmth and I'm seeing the blue skies and I'm hearing the music and I'm on this sensory overload and I can just feel this well up of emotion that I haven't felt in forever. And it just came out and I start crying and I'm like laughing and I'm shaking and I get home and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling joy. I haven't felt joy in years, probably since we adopted my daughter and, and I had my son. 
And I just couldn't believe it. I was feeling great. And I walked in and I looked at my husband. I go, I don't think I'm going back. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I ever want to drink again. And that was just absolutely amazing. And so I finished the 21 days. I finished out the month. I signed up for your alcohol experiment. And so I did the alcohol experiment. Um, I went to one of your um, seminars and it was like, here's, you know, you can do the, you can do the path or you can do hundred days of lasting change. And I'm like, right. It's still at this point in my life. I, I was not enough. I could not afford stuff. I wasn't going to invest in myself that much. So I went ahead and did the hundred days of lasting change and I kept going. And you, you said so many times, you're like, do the first. So I went on my first vacation and I didn't drink and this was insane. And it was my birthday as well. And I just kept going and I kept going and I kept feeling better. And the further I got away from the alcohol, the more I, I just felt so good. And I didn't have to take my anxiety medication anymore and it just got better. And then I went ahead and said, let's do the rest of the year. So I did the rest of the year and that was hard. Holidays are hard, but I did it. I couldn't believe I did it. And we got to a point in there. It was like right before New Year's. And I'm listening because, you know, and your the algorithm speaks to you now. And I'm Matt starting to kind of, he's trying moderation this whole time. He's trying moderation. And I left out a part of the story when I told him that I was going to do this. Um, but during that time I was telling him I was going to do this, he confessed that he had been in and he had been diagnosed with mild fatty liver disease, but he was still going to try to do moderation. And you had said in your book, you are not going to be able to make anybody change their drinking. And I just was like, okay, I cannot change his drinking, but I can support him and I can give him grace and I can give him compassion. And that's what I did. But came up, the algorithms going through. And here comes a, here comes a, this naked bind advertisement. Join us for the live alcohol experiment. So I make sure that the volume is up and he hears it and it's a male voice. And he goes, wait a minute. I thought that was just chicks. I thought women only did this, this program. And I said, no, go absolutely not. He goes, well, let me see that. He signed up. He signed up. He did the 30 days, his health got better. He had been suffering for our entire married life with um, irritable bowel syndrome. Two weeks was gone. He's like, I don't think I'm going back. So here, here we are. We're almost to, this is 2021. 20, I'm like, Matt, I want to sign up for coaches training. So I signed up, almost didn't do it um, because again, that voice in my head was saying, who do you think you are on the phone call? You know, you're in, why aren't, what's holding you back? And I was like, nothing, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. So I did it and went through the coaches training, um, got my certification at the end of, um, I guess it was the end of the summer of 2021 and um, started my own business, which I'm like, no idea, you know, like, what are you doing? I know I had no desire to do that, but 
Um, fast forward now, and um, I'm working with uh, another fellow coach, and I'm doing one-on-one coaching and created a, um, a, a program called the Alcohol-Free Spirit. And we talk about our faith, plus we put in the science of everything that I've learned through this naked mind. And um, I'm helping people. I'm doing, you know, I'm, it goes all the way back to when I was a kid and I wanting to help others, wanting to help my family. And then just coming all the way to here and going, all right, I want to help people. Be, get free from this because there's so many lies that we've been told. It's yeah, it's just that's where I'm at now. So I'm doing that. Now I'm on your show um, on this podcast, which I think is amazing. My husband and I started our own podcast called the Alcohol Free Marriage Podcast because we wanted to show people that you can live life without alcohol. And I always tell people I'm not anti alcohol. I can drink whenever I want. I just don't want to drink. I just don't want to put that in my body anymore. But if I want to, I can. And um, it's been a roller coaster. And the other thing which is exciting is he and I, um, through our podcast, we met a couple of marriage coaches who live very close, who was amazing. They knew your story. Her husband had had some issues with alcohol and he goes, the snake in mind. I'm like, yes. And it was amazing. It was like, he's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And so Matt and I are now we're actually in training to become marriage coaches as well. So the possibilities of what started three years ago, my life is, is just forever changed for the better. Oh, that's just incredible, Amy. Wow. Yeah. Exciting. We're, we're very happy not to say that things that there aren't things that happen that, you know, you, I tell people, I go, I still have that fleeting thought every once in a while, but I know now exactly. I go, I, I like, oh, that that's just a thought. I mean, you taught me that at age almost 52, that I could question my thoughts. And I will tell you one of the things in training, probably one of the first days during training, you told us to um, have curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. And I remember having also been told to write down your energy snacks. And I had to write down curiosity because of that. Um, somewhere back in my probably in my childhood, somebody probably said something like curiosity kills the cats. And I just remember going, why am I so opposed to curiosity? And it came back down to, I wasn't supposed to question my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I really had to come to terms with that curiosity and saying, it's okay to be curious. It's okay to question everything. And, um, yeah, so I, I want to just say again, thank you so much for writing your book. Um, thank you for the opportunity to come on here and thank you for the big thing for me too, is that 
the grace and compassion I felt all along the way. And that's one of the things that I talk to my clients about. I'm not going, to, I'm not here to judge you at all. And I'm not, that's what we say even on our, in our, like on our podcast, this is a judgment-free zone. We are here to help and it's not your fault. I think that's probably the biggest thing, again, that I learned that was probably the most um, freeing is that it's not your fault. So much. Oh, that's just incredible, Amy. So let me ask you the the final two questions. First of all, um, as a coach, where can people find you? Should they be interested? Go to uh, joyontheotherside.com. They can find everything. And then um, if you were going to go back in time and, you know, talk to the version of yourself who was, who was struggling and you were going to tell her what life is like now, what would you say? Oh, we did a practice and coaches training that I remember that we went back and talked to our younger self and the younger self I thought I was going to talk to was like that little girl, but she was actually that probably 22, 23 year old. And I just would tell her that all of this that you're going through right now is going to be used to tell a story. And your story is going to be that you overcame, that you got reconnected with your with yourself, that you got reconnected with God, and that you got reconnected with all of your senses, everything again, and you became a whole person. I love that. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Well, that's so amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Amy. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're ready to see how This Naked Mind can help you on your personal health and wellness journey and want to learn more, go to thisnakedmindpodcast.com to learn what your next best step is. Again, that's thisnakedmindpodcast.com. We have all of our free resources, programs, social links, and more available for you there. Plus, if you have your own naked life story to share, you can submit it there as well. Until next week, stay curious. Stay curious.